0: Welcome to the Star Citizen Nightbus, a quirky mixture of fact, fiction, and opinion. I'm your host, Aliciana, from alicianasworld.com. It's been a while since the last Casual Citizen or Nightbus, but I hope to return with at least a monthly pre-recorded show and a monthly in-game event via Twitch. In this episode, I'm going to discuss my excitement for the new faces that have joined the Star Citizen streaming family since the anniversary event, the magic of Hurston, revisiting Stanton lore for new listeners, and a new piece of fan fiction. Please sit back, relax, and enjoy. The night bus is exiting stasis. Please secure all personal items. Departing the station in 3, 2... 1. New Faces I didn't partake in this year's anniversary sale. With the fleet I've amassed over the years, it's going to take a specialized ship to peep my interest enough to swap in something new. Note, swap in. I've hit my ceiling on purchases. I know, I know, like many others, I've said that before, but this time I actually mean it. What I have engaged in as a result of the sale and the free fly is the influx of amazing new streamers and players. It's easy to spot new and returning players by the questions they ask. I enjoy helping out where I can, sharing information, or giving a ship tour. It's great seeing game chat alive with all these new backers. I've watched more Star Citizen streams since 3.3.5 than I have in a very long time. I like bopping between my longtime favorites, brand new, low viewer count streamers, and the mega Twitch names checking in. I haven't laughed so hard or shouted at the screen as if watching a spine-tingling movie as I have the past couple of weeks. Lyric and crew simply had me in stitches. Giant Waffle was entertaining, and the night they played together, my stomach hurt from laughing. At one point, I was doubled over on the bed, crying at the hilarity. Seeing streams with thousands of viewers that aren't a CIG-hosted event is very exciting. CIG's own Tyler Witkin, who goes by Xylo, made several appearances on streams. He was a mole on one, turning on his party after arriving at Korea. Another night, he was trying to give Lyric a look at the 600 eye. Unfortunately, Lyric's fidget jump wiggle everywhere, like he's tiptoeing on hot coals playstyle, had him glitching into anything and everything an unlucky player could find. At one point, I guess Zylo was over it and not going back for his dead ass, so he used a dev command to drag him from where he'd resurrected at L'Orville over to Port Olisar where he'd landed the 600i. Comedy Gold. Seeing the rag doll float up, then disappear out of the hobby cube, then land on the pad at Port Olisar. All the while, Lyric is like, What the fuck, man? Chat, what the fuck is happening? It was such great fun to watch. Of all the new streamers I've seen taking up the Star Citizen torch, the group that surprised me the most, and in hindsight shouldn't have, are the role players. I don't know why I hadn't considered that they'd come. I knew we'd eventually see Killer Machinima using the game, but RP streamers? I've never seen them bringing in numbers, even in World of Warcraft, where there are strong RP servers, and have been for years. I really enjoyed watching their shows. You can check out the New Faces post on Ali's World for a more in-depth discussion and a list of some of my new favorites. Hurston is Magic As most will realize, Star Citizen is in its alpha development phase. Many of us had hoped things would be moving along a bit faster. There is no shortage of complaints about the plotting and sometimes painfully mundane pace at which features were being added in 2017. And for all the waiting and need for a polish eschewed as to why a feature isn't being released for testing, there are still significant bugs on live. Yep, there's no shortage of complaints about CIG, Star Citizen, even among loyal backers, myself included. I spent two days and several hours trying to get out of the new city, Lorville, after 3.3.5 went live. It didn't make me angry. After a while, it was so absurd that it became my own personal mini-game, Escape from Lorville. I mean, come on, players are trapped in the first city and able to get out and explore. I laughed a lot on Twitter, but there were some who didn't find it quite as amusing as I did. So yes, development is taking longer than most of us would like. Bugs hang around for what feels like a long time, even ones that are game-breaking for some. Personally, I refuse to do missions at this point. I'm not a fan of generic checklists to begin with, let alone subject my gaming time to ones that are broken. But all of that melts away in the face of what was delivered in Alpha Patch 3.3.5. Until now, I haven't bothered with clothing or armor, because there's no female avatar. Hurston arriving with the first location with breathable atmosphere made me want to walk around in clothes, so I did. It bothered me that my avatar was a guy. It annoyed me that I lost text chat by removing the undersuit. Yet, the magic of Hurston's Loreville and beyond can't be denied. Waking in a semi-interactive habit cube. A landing hangar bristling with activity. Departing during the day to see the cityscape. Leaving at night is like seeing Paris lights. Alone on a dragonfly, surfing sand dunes in the dark. Until the Lorville Business District, we've only seen the low-economy, grunge, and utilitarian environments in the game. Beyond those who got to see the Mile High Club, of course. With this expansion to the city, we're seeing a different aesthetic, and it's a welcome change. While gold and glitz is at my thing in particular, it does serve to remind us that we will also have architectural, ambiance, and design variety based on a zone's economy and wealth. The breathtaking view when you exit the yellow line into the Hurston building is an impressive feat. It's coming together now. We can see it, feel it, it's just around the bend. This is magic. What they're doing is extraordinary. It's why we keep believing this is Star Citizen. Revisiting Stanton Lore When we consider the crowdfunded scope for Star Citizen, there are 100 plus star systems planned. The persistent universe we're currently enjoying as part of the Alpha is the Stanton star system. It contains four super-Earths—Hurston, Crusader, Artcorp, and Microtech. Stanton's biome diversity is one of the reasons it was selected as the starting point for the persistent universe development. Stanton was originally discovered by independent explorers. Although the details are fuzzy, most agree that the star system was discovered by a free-agent trader. Word-of-mouth spread the tale of a system that contained four super-Earths. Pirateers moved in to capitalize on this extremely rare find. Planets of this size, all within a wide green zone, is unusual in and of its own right, combined with the large variances and planet ecologies even more so. When the existence of Stanton came to the attention of the UEE, they moved in quickly to claim eminent domain. The official reason was to protect and extend nearby jump lanes. Unfortunately, the original settlers of Stanton hadn't formalized their colonization by filing the necessary paperwork. Largely made up of homesteaders, prospectors, and survivalists, the local populace had no legal rights to Stanton and certainly were not in a position to dissuade military forces when they arrived. The uniqueness of the system and the potential resources notwithstanding, the UEE was in the midst of huge economic struggles a down economy from a hundred-year colonization drought, the UEE could only afford to do the bare minimum to claim its new price. Naval engineers performed a small amount of terraforming, and underfunded military outposts were established. Lacking funds to do more, Stanton wasn't developed further, at least not by the UEE. Eventually, the decision was made to sell the system piecemeal to the highest bidders large corporations were discreetly contacted and asked to bid on whole planets it's believed that the winners must have bid trillions to acquire the rights the winners did the corporate obvious naming the planets after their companies hurston dynamics crusader industries art corp and microtech As of Alpha 3.3.5, the persistent universe was expanded to include the first of Stanton's planets, Hurston, its moons, and capital city, Lorville. Unlike the locations we've seen thus far, Hurston contains multiple biomes. There are also bodies of water and underground bunkers. While Lorville is still incomplete, it's a must-see that introduces a working railway system and habit cubes with interactable objects. More locations are being added over time. The addition of Hurston brings the landing sites to one planet, seven moons, two asteroid-based locations, one starbase, and two space stations. This doesn't include Cryastro fueling and repair or the various truck stops located around Crusader and Hurston. It's worth noting that Delamar's presence in Stanton is temporary. Delamar belongs in the Nix system, a dangerous unclaimed star system. However, it was placed in Stanton for testing purposes when its Tier 1 development completed. You can find a more in-depth overview of Nyx on my YouTube channel. A Day in the Life Welcome to what will become a recurring segment on Nightbus. A Day in the Life is a fictionalized retelling of an actual in-game event where I set off for the evening with completing a particular task in mind and turn whatever the outcome might be into a piece of fiction. I'll rotate these shorter stories in between the longer fiction I have planned and other standalone sections. Let me know in the comments if this kind of content piques your interest. I have mining and passenger transport planned next. A small crowd gathered around the makeshift food truck, hovering just off pad A00. Port Olisar, the aging starbase stationed in the trade lanes above Crusader, was coming to life. Local cargo haulers, miners, and small service crews called the dilapidated two-story-four strut structure home. Its drab green walls, peppered with vending machines and Spartan habit cubes, were a convenient distance between Hurston and the Aron Halo asteroid belt. More importantly, it was demonstrably cheaper than the flea-ridden low-rent apartments on Hurston. Rusty Del food truck, a steel-gray freelancer with pale blue racing stripes, was pockmarked with dents and scratches. He'd parked the stern of the ship, facing the long side of the landing pad. The ramp was down and touching the landing pad just enough to allow customers to enter on foot. This was Rusty's way of avoiding landing fees, which helped him keep his merchandise as cheap as possible. If security came by, he closed up for a time, moved to a different pad, and reopened when the coast was clear. Rinse and repeat every day until he was sold out. Scratching out a living in the bottom tier of Stanton often required skirting the rules and being inventive. Charles was a soft-spoken loner with few acquaintances. He wore his age well. At 44, he was clean-shaved with a thick mop of brown hair. Most people mistook him for in his 30s. Recently, however, he'd started noticing frown lines at the corner of his eyes and creases on his forehead. Shuffling forward at the back of the line to enter Rusty's, he opened up his Moby Glass and flipped to the Cashflow app. The app showed a graph with two lines, a green line showing his revenue and a red one for expenses plotted across 16 weeks. Twelve of the weeks were actual activity, followed by a four-week projection. Charles let out a breathy groan that fogged up the faceplate of his helmet. The green line was in a gradual but steady decline. Seeing it right in front of his eyes, there was no denying the eventuality. Even though the red line of his expenses was flat, the projection showed that the green line for his income would fall below his expenses within the next two weeks. Shit! he exclaimed to himself and bumped into the person in front of him. Without looking up, he used a hand gesture to say, Sorry! Consumed by his predicament, he continued to shuffle forward, his eyes focused on his dwindling cash flow. His head popped up when the person in front of him gave him a friendly punch on the arm. He saw the man mouth his name in an exaggerated fashion. Dropping out of his fog of concentration, he realized it was Clevin. Clevin pointed to his Moby glass and tapped two fingers toward his mouth on the helmet, a common gesture indicating that he wanted to talk in a private channel. Charles nodded. A second later, Clevin's voice echoed in Charles's helmet. Charlie, haven't seen you in a bit. How's it hangin', man? It's hangin', same old, Charles replied, his voice trailing off at the end. Yeah, good to hear. Making a gesture of a big belly, Clevin asked, How's the fam? Still on Hurston? Charles nodded. Must be nice having him close by remembering an all-too-recent conversation with his wife celeste charles hesitated the way things were looking they discussed giving up their one-room flat on hurston and using those funds to upgrade charles's ship to a model with living accommodations this would allow them to consolidate down to one lease payment a month and give charles the opportunity to go after larger payloads Charles had been solidly against the idea of dragging his family around like hobos, while Celeste preferred it to the risk of losing the ship or having an eviction notice on their UEE record if they couldn't keep up with the rent. Of course, they were just rumors, she hoped, but she'd heard of families being snatched up by Hurston and forced into slave labor schemes until the debt was paid off. The mere idea chilled her blood, she told him. She also didn't want him pressured into going back to work for Hurston, to be permanently maimed at one of the factories or weapon testing ranges. Sure, times were hard and precarious freelancing in Stanton. This way, however, they at least had a small amount of control over their lives, she'd urged. It also made the possibility of paying off the loan on his ship more attainable. In turn, that would end the restriction on them leaving the system, a condition of their loan agreement. Returning from his reverie, Charles realized he hadn't replied. He cleared his throat. Uh, yeah. Doing good. Yeah. Thanks for asking. The pair were walking up the ramp and into the food truck. He grunted. Bills is alls. Same shit. Different decade. Smelling food, Charles's stomach grumbled loudly. Make your own carton of noodle stations line the side walls of the cargo bay. On the left, the noodles were accompanied by a variety of vegetables, tofu, and toppings. On the right, cheap cuts of fatty meat strips were available for an additional cost. The back wall had racks of pre-mixed cartons that were mostly broth with a sprinkling of noodles, vegetable scraps, and a stale biscuit. Charles broke off from the conversation and headed for the back wall. He grabbed a carton, biscuit, and walked to the coffee station. Clevin followed behind him. Really, man? Clevin asked, gesturing at Charles's food choice. "'That bad, huh?' He continued when Charles made no reply. As if it were necessary, which it wasn't, he leaned in and whispered, "'Wait here a sec. "'Sorry, but I gotta get something real to eat. "'I have a tip for you.' "'What kind of tip?' "'Just hang for a sec. "'Let me get something, and we'll talk.' Charles furrowed his eyebrows and checked the time on his Moby. "'I gotta get going. "'My quota for the day is pressing.' It'll be worth the wait, Clevin promised. Over his shoulder, he said. Meet you outside in a few. Charles shrugged his shoulders as he walked toward the cashier, who swiped his card, then he shuffled down the ramp and waded off to the side of the growing crowd. Back on the landing pad, Charles scanned the area around the pad, wondering when station security would show up. The crowd was twice as large now. They'd get wind of it shortly, and he'd just as soon not be around for it. Besides, he had a list of possible hauling jobs to follow up on. He really didn't have time for Clevin and his schemes. Clevin was a nice guy, chatty, and sometimes overly helpful. He made a living with his fingers in as many pies as he could in and around Stanton. Not all of his ventures were legal, or as Clevin liked to say, they could be interpreted as illegal in a certain light. This was followed by a Cheshire Cat grin and a wink. Charles chased down the last bite of his rock-hard biscuit with a final swig of soup and decided he'd be on his way. He turned and headed back toward the station to have his ship retrieved from storage. Charles was at the airlock when Clevin caught up to him. Panting, he said, "'Hang on, man. I want to help you out a little.' Leaning over Wheezing, he continued, "'I know. You're straight-up kind. Admire that and all. This is legit. Just free,' he did free in air quotes, Tip, okay? Nothing more. Charles considered him and felt a bit bad about bolting, but time was money in his world. Sorry, in a hurry to get rolling, I need to get my grind on today. I have to come out on top within the next couple of weeks. Trust me, man, I hear ya. Nothing more than a tip. It's solid, but gotta move on it fast. Clevin pulled Charles to the side as others approached the airlock. There's going to be an overstock of medical supplies here around 1,300 hours. Should be enough stock that it will last for a bit, but not long. He did a thumbs up move. Coincidentally, the planned delivery of medical supplies for that death trap grim imperial is, Kevin smiled and gave Charles an exaggerated wink, going to be a few days late. Not that anyone's dying over there. Its supplies get turned into other stuff. He made a motion of jabbing himself in the arm and sniffing something off his hand. Charles interrupted Clevin's growing performance. How the hell do you know? Waving his hands, he added, forget it. Don't want to know? Don't want any kind of trouble. What trouble? You ain't cooking the stuff or converting it. You're just hauling supplies. What folks turn it into after that ain't your problem. I don't know, man. What's to know? Just buy medical crates from Olasar. ferry them over to Grimm. Profit. But you gotta move quick. The favorable pricing ain't gonna last. Charles wrung his hands, tilted his head, and stared at Clevin without speaking. An uncomfortable silence developed. This is legit on your end. One freebie piece of information. Throwing up his hands, two cartons of noodles dangling in the left, Clevin added, Use it or not, man. Use it or not. Charles inhaled and at that moment made his decision. Okay. Thanks, man. I do appreciate it. I'll refuel in advance. He checked the time again. Maybe see if I can find a quick side run since there's time. Sounds good. Just make sure you're at a purchase kiosk by 1300 and this won't fail. He reached out his fist for a bump and Charles obliged. Thanks, man. For real, Charles said. Looking at his cartons of food and wiggling his eyebrows, Clevin said, cool, I'm starved. Gotta run to appointments. Stay safe out there, bro. At precisely 1245, Charles was standing at a trade and commodities console at Port Olisar. Two other customers were waiting nearby. He pretended to be checking prices and fiddled around with the machine to prevent losing his spot noticing that he was still on the console the admin asked if he needed any help to which charles lied that he was setting up a large variety load the admin said something under his breath but turned away while biding his time charles had already decided to approach this cautiously he couldn't afford to take a loss of any kind he scoured news feeds and commodity tickers checking the buy and sell prices for medical supplies over the past ninety days this gave him a fair idea of whether or not he'd buy at the time that the surplus showed up he started perspiring a bit in his suit it wasn't a common practice to be helmeted up while inside the station today however he wanted to be ready to race his ship over to the pickup landing pad if things worked out, at 1,300 hours, he refreshed the terminal data and checked commodities for sale. His jaw dropped open. It was there. Crates of medical supplies, 25% lower than their recent historical pricing. He inhaled and cautioned himself that he still had to get a favorable buy price, which he couldn't ascertain with a 100% certainty until he was actually at Grimax. With this in mind, he put in a modest purchase order of 15 standard cargo units. After confirming payment, he ran at full speed to his ship. His cutty was already sitting on landing pad B02. He tipped a flight training student to sit in the cockpit and keep the ship flight ready. He had also given instructions that if the air control tower sent a message that he had to move off the pad, to strafe the ship sideways off and wait there. As luck would have it, traffic around Port Olisar was slow today, and his ship was right where he'd left her. He lowered the back ramp and jogged to the cockpit, his boots pounding out his arrival. Dispensing with politeness, he spoke quickly into the comms channel he had the kid turn to. Thanks, kid. Time to go. Immediate liftoff. A muffled voice replied, got it, as they squeezed past each other in the mid-cabin, one racing in, the other racing out charles zipped the ship over to the cargo loading dock and was first in line he gave the foreman his purchase order code and six drones began loading his ship getting the cargo on board and dust off happened in record time within ten minutes the crates were on board and he was setting his quantum drive to grimhex The ship's computer having identified a clear path to his destination, it rocketed deftly through the asteroids surrounding the partially abandoned station. Charles tried to relax a bit, but he couldn't. His stomach churned at the possible outcome if the buy price wasn't at least at its historical norm. He couldn't let his mind drift there. For now, he had to stay focused on the task at hand, the first of which was to arrive at his destination unscathed. The ship exited quantum with a sonic boom. A burst of crackling white light rippled the space around it. The Cutlass Black hovered in space, its repose an in-flight bird of prey. His finger already poised over the control, Charles pinged the area for nearby ships and activated his defensive warp stabilizer to reduce the chance of being interdicted before he reached the station's air defense turrets they were poised to nuke any ship that came near the station armed sure there were pirates but the station needed a monicum of decorum in order to conduct business the only ship on the radar returned was the vector image of the -the junk-in-the-trunk bumblebee-shaped herald approaching a landing pad excellent charles whispered to himself as he activated boost and shot toward the landing pads like an arrow no time for landing permission or being placed in a hangar he landed directly on a pad for cargo delivery he'd pay the small fine or tip someone to forget the incident entirely it was grimhex after all after setting her down fast and sloppy charles bolted toward the airlock after entering the burrowed out asteroid turned space station he never broke speed and wound his way through the dark and dank interior Charles burst through the doors of the admin's office like a lunatic, drawing a condemning stare from the young female behind the counter. Her opinion counted for nothing as he raced to the closest console. He held his breath while initiating a buy request. He entered the SCU he was carrying, and his eyes bulged when the price was displayed. It was up by 10%, on top of the fact that he'd purchased at a 25% discount. His heart was racing. He pressed confirm, but didn't exhale until the final confirmation screen displayed. He clicked OK and logged off the system. Holy shit. It was a legit tip. He had to make another run. This kind of profit could give him enough breathing room to keep his family on Lorville while continuing his search for a consistently profitable trade route, or better, a long-term contract okay one more he told himself as he ran at breakneck speed to repeat the delivery when he returned to port olasar the buy price was still the same he doubled his purchase order loading him up the second time had been slower much to his alarm the station was hitting full throttle with ships coming and going on all sides his gut unknotted when he was back in the air with the second load, and he breathed a sigh of relief when he arrived again safely at Grimhex to find the buy price was still favorable. It was only 5% above normal this time, but still a good deal. He'd also noticed on the second trip that more ships were now lining up to make deliveries. This would consume valuable time during each run. Combined with the dropping price, he couldn't and wouldn't risk more than just... One more trip. Back at the Trade and Commodities office on Port Olisar, Charles was greeted with a line of other haulers using the consoles and conducting business. It was half past 1600 hours at this point, each trip taking roughly an hour there and back. The admin office was now in full swing. He fidgeted in line, constantly peeking to the left and the right of the people ahead of him, screaming inside his head for everyone to hurry the hell up. By the time he reached the console, crates of medical supplies were only 10% discounted from their normal price. Shit. He'd already decided this was his last trip, and this confirmed it. He squared his shoulders and purchased a full cargo bay's worth. Final trip. He inhaled deeply, filling his lungs to capacity, and ran back to his ship. Sitting in the cockpit, waiting for his turn to pull into the loading dock, was pure torture. He constantly refreshed the price ticker app on his Moby Glass, but there was always at least an hour lag in pricing updates. He was still okay if the current price was 3% above the normal payout. When the crates were loaded, he bolted like a bat out of hell, dinging a drone that was drifting past him. A flying infraction popped up on his HUD. Fuck it, he'd pay the fine later. He was giddy with relief to find a free console available when he dashed into the admin office on Grimhex. He could breathe now, and began to feel excited about calling Celeste with the news. But wait, something must be wrong with the terminal. Medical supplies were missing from the cell screen. He hopped to the next one, and the same thing happened. He called out to the clerk. Hey, these consoles are glitching out. Let me take a look, the clerk said, as she came from around the counter to stand beside him. She was a petite redhead, dressed in a midnight blue jumpsuit. Oh, that. Yeah, it's a glitch. Should be fixed in the next software update. Ugh, Charles let out a sigh of relief. When we're no longer buying an item, it should be listed in gray text and have a stocked indicator beside it instead of just disappearing altogether. Charles's ears rang like a gong was being pounded at the base of his skull. Wh- what? The clerk turned to him and smiled patiently. What you looking for? She asked. Med supplies. "'Oh, those, those are definitely stocked. "'We won't be buying again for a few. "'Even then, it'll be at the lower side of pricing.' "'Walking back around the corner,' she added, "'we had a crazy run on those today for some reason. "'Really odd. "'Definitely all stocked up,' she said, "'accentuating the word all.' Charles stood with his mouth hanging open, helmet cupped in the crook of his arm. He couldn't speak. He couldn't think. The clerk tilted her head. Are you okay? Can I get you a water? Without waiting for a reply, she walked to the small fridge on the far wall behind the counter. Her head poking inside, she said, what about a juice? Yeah, that'll probably do ya." Returning to the counter, paper cup in hand, I know how you guys forget to eat and hit low blood sugar. When Charles didn't reach for the cup himself, she placed it in his hand. My dad was a holler. Happened to him lots. She smiled, as though thinking about her father was a fond memory. You should sit for a bit. Charles backed into one of the chairs lining the back wall and fell into it without looking. He had no words. He wasn't sure he could keep the cup of whatever he was holding down. He drank it all the same, thinking she might go away if he did. He needed silence. Silence. Breathe in. Breathe out, he told himself. Yes, you're okay. Keep breathing. Flex your eyes and focus on the floor. Yeah, okay. The room's not spinning anymore. Through his haze of panic, Charles heard the echo of footsteps. A new voice speaking, followed by the clerk's voice. More footsteps, another voice. People moving around the small room, coming, going, life moving on. The End Thanks for tuning in to Star Citizen Nightbus Episode 8. I hope you enjoyed your time here and will visit again. Your comments and feedback are welcomed. Please be kind and fly safe. This is Aliciana signing out until next time. The Star Citizen Nightbus is re-entering stasis. Please disembark. Hibernation sequence begins in 3, 2, 1.